Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Chris Bentley here, wishing you a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays from all of us at Here and Now. Before we start the show, I just want to say thanks for listening and subscribing to Here and Now Anytime, wherever you listen to this podcast. We are here for you every day of the year, including holidays, to bring you fresh, thoughtful takes on the news and in-depth conversations with people from around the world whom you won't hear elsewhere. We do that because we think it's important and valuable. And if you also think this work is valuable, then consider supporting it today with a tax-deductible donation. If charity is part of your holiday routine, it's a perfect time to become a supporter of public radio by taking two minutes and going to donate.npr.org slash now. And if you like Here and Now anytime, we'd appreciate it if you shared the show with a friend or family member this holiday season and help us spread the word. Thanks. Now here's the show. It's that absolute pleasure of leafing through a solid book that you hold in your hands, seeing the beautiful photographs and thinking, I think I could do this. I'm going to try. Merry Christmas. How about a new cookbook? And if you've spent enough time in the kitchen lately, you can just thumb through the pictures instead. This is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, a Christmas gift from Kathy Gunst. We're reviewing our favorite chefs, favorite cookbooks of the year. And we're globetrotting with Beto Arcos, who's got a treasure trove of musical finds from around the world. This band is about to have a party, and it's a really, really uplifting, exciting group. Get ready for that in about 15 minutes. But first, before world music, some world news. As the year draws to a close, we're looking back on some of the biggest international stories of 2023 and ahead to the stories that will continue to shape our world in 2024. Washington Post columnist Ishan Tharoor stopped by to reflect on everything that's been going on with Scott Tong. Let's talk about Ukraine. This war is nearly three years in now, and the counteroffensive so many have been waiting for has not resulted in a big recapturing of territory. Uh, meantime, Ukraine's President Zelensky is imploring the U.S. Congress for more weapons and aid. Let's listen. Together, Ukraine and America can strengthen democracy's arsenal. And this is vital for other free nations and the U.S. as it involves your companies, technologies, and technology advancement and job creation. Of course, uh, the two parties in Washington are not agreeing on moving forward with, the, with an aid package for now. So first of all, let's say that U.S. help does come. What are the implications for this war and how long it lasts in Ukraine? Well, as you said, the Ukrainian counteroffensive that you know, Western governments put a lot of stock in at the beginning of this year or sort of come springtime uh, has stalemated. The Ukrainians have lost a lot of lives, uh, spent a long time on this very vast front line where the Russians have been entrenched. 
really trying to push and find a breakthrough, and they've yet to achieve that. And there is a deep, uh, perhaps not pessimism, but a sense of real frustration um, about the course of this counteroffensive and how difficult it looks, and frankly, how, how stalemated the conflict has gotten. And the Ukrainians, in terms of their capacity, need Western aid just to hold the line, let alone to take further ground. And uh, and mm. and they're hoping that that aid comes through in, in the new year, and they're also expecting significant contributions from from the Europeans as well in 2024. I think that the bigger picture outlook in all this, and this is this is the view from the Biden administration as well as in certain European capitals, is mm. that the Russians are are fighting this war through 2024 with an eye on the U.S. elections. Uh, there's a view that should say former President Donald Trump come back to, to power, that would yeah. really upset the apple cart and change the equation. And so for the Ukrainians, their goals are to to achieve what they can with as much support as they can before that scenario. Yeah. Uh, let's go to a part of the world uh, we don't talk about too often, but where now the ruling party may be losing some control, and that's Myanmar. It's been three years since the military junta pulled off a coup, gunned down protesters in the streets, used brutal tactics against rebel groups. But now, Ishan, is the situation there turning? It seems to be. This is, a, this is of course, a difficult crisis to read, given our inability to, to be on the ground in any kind of meaningful way, often covering it. Uh, but yes, as you said, the, as the world, and especially the West, has been distracted and preoccupied with the war in Ukraine, and now more recently, the conflict in Gaza, uh, you've had a number of major conflicts boil on uh, in the shadows, perhaps, uh, uh, in Myanmar and Sudan. And in Myanmar, as you said, the ruling junta that uh, threw out, uh, that, that, that they intervened and, and did away with Myanmar's fledgling democracy, appears to be uh, in tough shape. Uh, there's a whole constellation of armed groups that are fighting against the regime. These include ethnic militias. These inc- include kind of militant groups associated with uh, the democ- democratic parliament in exile. And they have been gaining real ground. And they've been gaining ground without much foreign support in pretty ragtag formations. It's First, it's good to, to recognize that the military in Myanmar for decades has been practiced in managing global isolation, in, nav- in skirting around sanctions, in in staring down international pressure to change their behavior. Uh, they're kind of the, the Jedi masters of this sort of, uh, yeah. of being pariahs on the world stage. But even now, there's a chance that, that there's real dissension within the ranks. You've seen a lot of rank-and-file soldiers desert. So far in the course of this conflict, uh, we've seen very little in terms of meaningful international intervention or engagement. Uh, yeah. But in the event of a total collapse, uh, it's going to be a crisis. Uh, Ishan, I want to ask you about this phenomenon we've been seeing around, around the world is the rise of the political right. Um, mm-hmm. The new president, of course, in Argentina, the party that was the big winner in the Netherlands, recent election there. Uh, Donald Trump's poll numbers continue to defy gravity. As you look at these separate stories playing out in different parts of the world, is there something that helps explain this? How do you explain the appeal of so many of these right-wing groups in so much of the world. It is difficult to stitch together uh, a single solid thesis about all this, although, as you said, you know, it's pretty hard not to see 
the overall trend uh, that's in place. I think I think it's important to perhaps wall off the Latin American story from, say, what's happening in the U.S. and Europe. Mm. Uh, in Argentina, where you saw Javier Millet, the, this rather eccentric libertarian, Millet represents the kind of ultimate uh, anti-establishment vote. He has come to power with all sorts of promises of drastic, radical action uh, yep. that after you know many years of of endemic economic struggles uh argentines have embraced it's not quite the same as say um the far right party in the netherlands coming first place in parliamentary elections recently and where it was clear in that situation it's not really an anti-establishment vote as much as clearly harnessing certain anxieties about Migration, And that is a dominant theme in Europe right now. You're going to see European parliamentary elections uh, next year where perhaps the specter of, of how to deal with migration and mm. immigrants in Europe's midst uh, may play a big role. And in the U.S. too, the, the question of policies around uh, surrounding asylum seekers, which is essentially what the issue is on the southern border, is particularly prominent and important and will be... Uh, a, a huge uh, story over the course of the coming year as we enter the presidential election cycle mm. and where yeah. the, the Biden administration's policies on the border are going to be very much in the spotlight. And so both in the U.S. and in Europe, there is a very strong political mood, a desire to kind of do away with the existing status quos that surround our policies around giving rights to asylum seekers or allowing for people to apply for asylum even. And, and that is uh, the end of asylum, perhaps, as we've understood it for so many years, may be one of the, the dominant political stories of next year. Yeah. yeah. Well, and as you've been writing, the uh, migration numbers in so much of the world have continued to go up in the last couple of years. So perhaps this political response to it, we, we may see it uh, uh, continue in many parts. Um, finally, Ishan, the war in the Middle East. Palestinian health ministry says 20,000 people have now died in Gaza. The Israeli president, Isaac Herzog, recently suggested this could be a very long war. Should we be preparing for that? I think so. There's no going back to the pre-October 7th world. Of course, Hamas launched this hideous terrorist strike on October 7th in a bid to essentially upset the apple cart and change the equation in the region. And it, in its hideous, grisly way has proven quite successful. I think, especially as we've seen uh, the complete devastation of Gaza, uh, the fact that large swaths of this territory, which is not particularly big, um, have been rendered essentially uninhabitable for who knows how long to come. It's a huge humanitarian issue. It's a, it's a huge political issue. And uh, we don't have a clear sense of what the political solution to this is, even after hostilities cease. The things to still watch out for in the, in the weeks and months to come are, you know, mm -hmm. will we see a, a scenario where either by deliberate Israeli policy or just by default, uh, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of Palestinians in Gaza are forced to flee to, into, into Egypt? And if that happens, mm -hmm. that would trigger a huge reckoning in the region because it would mark a moment of profound Palestinian dispossession. It'll raise questions about whether they'll be allowed to return. It would completely derail Israel's ability to find rapprochement with a number of Arab governments that have been quite close to Israel in recent years. And it would certainly force 
Western officials, including those in the United States, to actually address some of the root causes of this, which is, at the end of the day, the lack of an actual political solution to this 75-year-old conflict. Hmm. And we've been asking and asking so many times about whether this could spiral into a broader regional conflict. The way you describe it, this is how it could happen. Yes, of course, there are all sorts of potential you know, hotspots that could flare. We're seeing right now uh, the, the intervention of uh, the Iranian-backed Houthis in Yemen and what they're doing to shipping in, in the Red Sea. Yeah, right, uh, attacking uh, container ships, etc. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there's always, of course, the, the, the challenge posed by Hezbollah on Israel's northern border that would probably flare up in, in the case of a, a spiraling conflict or the conflict spiraling further. Uh, but there's also the real political ramifications of all this as well uh, and and how that shadows uh, the, the U.S. presidential election as well where um, dissatisfaction even among Democratic voters um, over how Biden has been handling this could affect him in, in November. So the long tail of this conflict will be measured in many ways, but politically it's also quite important. Uh, Ishan, we've talked about a lot, but is there one part of the world that we haven't mentioned that you think is really important to talk about briefly? Well, we should certainly still talk about various crises in Africa. The most pressing, perhaps, is the, the ongoing civil war in Sudan, which has mm. led to you know huge uh, dislocations of people, uh, hideous amounts of slaughter, reports of genocide and atro- war crimes and various other atrocities. And it's a conflict that's kind of rolling in the background um, with little end in sight, it's fought between essentially two warlords who have carved up the state and derailed yeah. that country's democratic project. And it's, it's hideously sad and it's, it's hideously awful. Yeah. Ishan Tharoor is foreign affairs columnist with our editorial partners at The Washington Post. Ishan, thank you as always. Thank you so much. Coming up next... The best cookbooks of the year, according to Kathy Gunst. Stick around. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at LifeKit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. You've got your joy of cooking, your recipe apps, and subscriptions. But if you spend any time in the kitchen, you know the appeal of a good cookbook. 
There's a flood of new ones every year. So to help narrow down which ones deserve a look, we called up resident chef Kathy Gunst for her picks. Here's her conversation with Deepa Fernandez and Robin Young. Kathy, hi. Was it tough to narrow down the selection this year? Torture. It just feels like every year my stacks are taller. At one point, I couldn't even see out one of the windows in my office. I mean, and I need. Oh, you have such a tough job, Kathy. (laughs) They they throw cookbooks at her, and she's written several. But talk about the top three that you want this year, beginning with a Vietnamese cookbook. Yes, Andrea Gwynn. It's called Evergreen Vietnamese Super Fresh Recipes Starring Plants from Land and Sea. And she begins the book by talking about how cruddy she felt after, quote, years of eating everything she wanted. She saw doctors and specialists, and she came to the conclusion that she needed to slow down, rest up, and change her diet. So she focuses on Vietnamese flavors. She's an award-winning Vietnamese food specialist. And I tried two recipes from this book, and they were both winners. One is called Shaking Salmon, which combines sautéed pieces of fresh salmon with ginger and garlic and fish sauce, and then there's fresh mint and dill and basil, and it was so full of texture Mm. and color and flavor, and to think that it was healthy was just a huge bonus. Mm. Um, I also tried a spicy mushroom and cabbage slaw. The book is filled with recipes I'm looking forward to trying. Okay. Oh, can't wait. You know, I have to tell you, Kathy, after Thanksgiving, I used some of my turkey leftovers to make a Vietnamese. Instead of chicken porridge, I made turkey porridge. It was so mm, good. Very but good. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Andrea Wynn's book. But the other one you have for us is by Nick Sharma. It's called Veg Table. I love it. Yes. Very clever title, breaking up the word vegetable, obviously. This is Nick Sharma's third book. He is from Mumbai, so he has an East Asian background. He's also a molecular biologist. So he has all these wonderful recipes that are vegetable-focused, but not necessarily vegetarian. But there's all these wonderful explanations about why a certain technique is used and all these great flavors. I adored his recipe for Kung Pao sweet potatoes. He took a classic Mm. Chinese dish by substituting sweet potatoes for chicken, a lot of chilies Mm. and peanuts, and then the celery herb salad with lime vinaigrette Mm. made a winter evening very bright. Just Mm. terrific book. Okay, these are, you know, everything's sounding wonderful. We'll have the list at herenow.org. To dessert, you've chosen Love is a Pink Cake. I agree. (laughs) It's from Claire Patak. Uh, She got a lot of attention when she baked Harry and Meghan's wedding cake. But you say this is the real deal, this book. Yeah, she owns the Violet Bakery in London, and the the title Love is a Pink Cake comes from a collection of prints by Andy Warhol. I tried her recipe for a chocolate hazelnut cake, and it was one of the moistest, rich, dark mm. chocolate-flavored cakes I've ever had, and mm. there was no gluten. Um, so this book is filled with all kinds of great, the rye brown butter chocolate chip cookies, lemon meringue pie bars, and I will say, it is not the splashiest, fanciest cookbook of the year, but it is solid and attractive and appealing, and the recipes work. Yeah, okay. I have to say, though, someone who bakes a royal wedding cake, it makes me feel like they, these might be hard recipes. Is, is no, that right? not at all. Very, very home cook friendly, I would say. Okay, excellent. Well, Any other books you want to give a quick shout out to? 
Oh, so many. Latinismo by Sandra Guterres is a wonderful book. Italy by Ingredients by Viola Butoni. Start Here by Sola Iwale. I could go on and on. Company by Amy Thielen. There's just a big collection of books and the range of from China to Vietnam to California to England. Just terrific. And if you're bored with your cooking, this is the way to restart. Well, finally, Kathy, just the minute we have, you know what I'm going to ask you. You and I have been having these conversations. We're both so lucky. <laughs> People send us cookbooks. And then I look up one day and I said, I, this is wrong. I shouldn't have these cookbooks. They should be used. So I, you know I've been giving them away. I sent some to you. You sent them me to, a beautiful book. Yeah, yes. Giving them to cooking schools. because, And also a lot of the young people that I know are like, oh, no, no, I'm good with the New York Times. You know, they're going online. Yeah. Why a cookbook? It's that absolute pleasure of leafing through a solid book that you hold in your hands, seeing the beautiful photographs and thinking, I think I could do this. I'm going to try. It's completely different than going online and scrolling forever and never knowing how solid it is. Yeah, Almost, I got one right in front of me that we're going to be talking to the author, Clancy Miller, for the culture. It's also about black women and their role. That's a wonderful book, yeah. Stories too. Okay, here now, resident chef Kathy Gunn's picks for favorite cookbooks. We'll have it at hereandnow.org. Go break the internet. Kathy, thank you. Thank you both. Hey, if you want that shaking salmon recipe from Evergreen Vietnamese, we've got it at hereandnow.org. Okay, if cookbooks aren't your thing, tomorrow on Here and Now Anytime, we've got Tracy Thomas's picks for books of the year. No cooking necessary. She's got recommendations for fiction, nonfiction, even poetry. It's a poetry collection for people who love poetry and also for people who are scared of poetry like me. It's a feel-good poetry collection that will also make you think about what it means, you know, to to enjoy being alive when all the other things are going on around you. Subscribe to or follow Here and Now anytime so you don't miss that episode tomorrow. Today, we've got one more conversation for you and some great music to listen to from Mali to Colombia. Deepa is our DJ when we return. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. Stories that change the way you think about your life. How how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. 
From the campaigns to the conventions, from now through Election Day and beyond, the NPR Politics Podcast has you covered. As Joe Biden and Donald Trump square off again, we bring you the latest news from the trail and dive deep into each candidate's goals for a second term. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast every weekday. Okay, here's our holiday gift to you. It's a front row seat to a delicious and diverse world music selection. You are in for a treat. We're about to sample songs from some of the best musicians around the globe in the company of music journalist and DJ extraordinaire Beto Arcos. Beto is a regular contributor to NPR and BBC Radio 3. He's also the author of Music Stories from the Cosmic Vario. And Beto is joining us now with a selection of his favourite world music from 2023. He got to hear a lot of it in person from South America to North Africa. Beto, welcome to Here and Now. So good to have you on. Hi, Deepa. It's so great to be with you. Well, it's so fun that you and I can help close out the year by looking back on the world, the year in world music. Let's jump in, Beto, and start with a song by Aruj Aftab. It's called Sajni, and it's from her new album, Love in Exile. Now, this is a singer who was born in Pakistan, but lives and works in Brooklyn, New York. She recorded this album with the famous pianist and composer, one of my favorites, Vijay Iyer, and multi-instrumentalist, Shasna Ismaili. And you were drawn to these musicians because of their fusion of sounds. Tell us about their collaboration. I just think what they have done is so beautiful. It's this kind of confluence of different styles, of different approaches to music. I mean, like you, I have followed also the career of Vijay Iyer for years, and this, I think, is just a... A match made in heaven with this amazing singer from Pakistan, Aruj Aftav. And she's known for singing these sort of ghazals, which are these South Asian styles of songs of love and romantic and divine. Mm, They're so beautiful. A remarkable record for me, one of the best of the year. So let's go now to Catalonia, and you're bringing us Silvia Perez-Cruz. I believe you're a big fan and that you heard her live recently for the first time. Let's listen. This is um, one of the songs of hers that you're bringing us. Because, you know, when I listened, I, I thought I could make out a few words like fish and mermaids. But the beauty of her voice was so enveloping. I didn't actually miss not understanding the lyrics. It's sort of a story of, of somebody walking in this area of Catalonia and enjoying the sights and the sound, the swallows, the birds, 
like you're being playful on the beach or something and just having fun. Her name, in case you're wondering, folks, Silvia Perez Cruz. So let's move on, Beto. We don't hear a whole lot of music from Armenia, but this group that you've been following for a while, it's an ensemble, and they play really ancient tunes. Tell us who they are. This is the Gurdjieff Ensemble. It's an oriental dance, and it's composed by one of the elders of Armenian music, George Gurdjieff. He was an ethnomusicologist, a composer. He traveled all over Armenia, gathering all this music, and then he would write it. And so this ensemble is paying tribute to the work of Gurdjieff, by playing his music, by remembering the tower that he was. These period instruments take us back centuries into the culture of Armenia, which is so very rich with melodies, with tones, with flavors. When you listen to the duduk or the oud or the kanun or the santur, these various instruments, it's a beautiful piece. I mean, it really sounds like there's some very traditional instruments. You mentioned the duduk. Tell us about that instrument. Yeah, the duduk is this reed instrument that people always, when they hear it, they recognize that sound. It was famously played by the great Jivan Gasparian in all kinds of records, including the the Passion of the Christ, uh, the music that was composed by Peter Gabriel for that film. So it's one of the most emblematic sounds of Armenia. Okay, you're now taking us to the Sahara region of northern Mali. Tell us about this group of musicians who who are in fact world superstars. This is a band that came out in the early 2000s. In fact, the first record goes back, gee, almost 20 years. It was an album that I treasured for so long. And then, of course, like you say, they became these sort of rock stars and traveling all over festivals around the world. They're called Tinari Wen. This is their latest record. It's called Amatsu. And the song we're going to hear is called Tinera Den. on in this track and I understand 
they recorded it on three continents. How did this album come about? Oh, it's a, such a great album because remember, this band is from the Sahel, from this region that meets the desert in northern Africa. And, you know, there's been a lot of conflict in this region and the countries are on Mali, Algeria, Libya. And they are sometimes called Tuareg, but they're really Tamashek people. That's the language that they speak. And they sing about their experiences, about uh, their day-to-day -day life. And this record is produced by none other than Daniel Lanois, who's worked with so many big names. And this is the first time where he's delving into this world of different sounds that has a lot in common with, of course, with blues, with there's a little bit of flavor of country music in here as well. Yeah. Finally, um, you're taking us to Colombia and this group, Rancho Aparte, and their tune, La Rancho Paranda. Let's listen. Esta es pa' que te la buses desde tu tuneto a Castilla, hombre. Oh my gosh, such a joyous track. It just makes me want to dance, Beto. I got a chance to see these uh, musicians at a big festival in Cali, Colombia, and they put on a show and a half. I mean, they, they are all about party. And the song La Rancho Parranda is essentially the idea of this band is about to have a party. And it's a really, really uplifting, exciting group. <laughs> Yeah, he rumba in there, and I have to say, I associate rumba with Afro-Cubanos, but clearly the Afro-diaspora is thriving, you know, in many places, including Colombia. That's right. This region of Colombia is known for that music, for this kind of exciting, party-oriented, very lively music, the Pacific coast of Colombia, where there is a big community of Afro-Colombians, and they put on a festival every summer in, the, in Cali, and this is where I saw this band, and I said, oh my God, I gotta have some of this music for me too. <laughs> Beto Arcos, music journalist and world music DJ, thank you for bringing us all this fabulous music as we're closing out 2023. Such a pleasure, Deepa. All the best to you and your family and everyone at the program. That's our show, wrapped up with a bow on it. But before we go, I just want to say thanks again for following us, and especially if you've donated to Public Radio. If you haven't yet, it's not too late to make the tax-deductible gift. Consider it an act of Christmas kindness, if you like or just doing your part to make sure we can keep bringing you shows like Here and Now Anytime and all the news and podcasts that you rely on from across the NPR network for free. Give now at donate.npr.org slash now. Here and Now Anytime comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR in WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Hafsa Qureshi, Gabrielle Healy, Emiko Tamagawa, and Adeline Sear. 
Our editors are Todd Munt, Julia Corcoran, Peter O'Dowd, Micaela Rodriguez, and Kat Welch. Our technical team is Mike Moschetto, Caleb Green, Patrick O'Connor, and Michaela Varela. Theme music by Mike Moschetto, Max Liebman, and me, Chris Bentley. Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks so much for listening on this holiday. If you're celebrating, may your days be merry and bright. We've got new episodes every day this week, and I'll be back with you tomorrow. Merry Christmas. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.